Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. Good morning, guys. What you'll find if you hang out uh, in the Word of God or if you hang out around the truth often, things like that happen when you're supposed to be paying attention. Let me say that again. Things like that, batteries dying, just not being on the same page, you know, what poor Nancy, I threw a curveball because that was the amplified version, which is different than what you read last week. Um, so that was a curveball. But if you hang out around the truth, we believe because the Bible tells us, we also believe because we are living in a life where we experience it, where there are teams, and there is a team that promotes the destruction of people, the division of people, evil, and there is a team that promotes love and life, and um, you'll find out today what we're going to be talking about, and if you were here last week, um, Nathan did an incredible job. I'm so thankful for our team. Um, You know, we were able to be away on vacation last week, Drew is on his sabbatical right now, and uh, we're just so, so thankful. I mean, Nathan's been here now seven plus-ish years, I think, came to us as a green intern, you know, and uh, we're just so thankful, you know, and and, um, so Nathan, way to go. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, um, the the video didn't work, but if you go to the Loon Mount Ministry podcast, uh, you can hear it on there. So, uh we're going we're gonna to talk about it again because there is so much here to talk about that I think we can, we can hang out here a, a little bit. It, it's interesting how we as humans, right, we, we, we tend to hang out at the places or the things uh, that, that, that fill our tank. And, and so a lot of times, you know, unless you're addicted to it, you don't really hang out in an exercise area. You know, you don't just find yourself just hanging out there, um, you know. And so this is going to be difficult to hang out in because it is aimed, like, like, like Nancy said, uh, about taming the tongue. It's, it's aimed uh, right at me right, and right at you guys. Now, if you look, if you're familiar with James chapter 3, I left out verses 1 and 2. And that was on purpose. I didn't really want to get into those. But uh, here's a plug for next week. Maybe no one will be here. Uh, But next week, um, we're going to talk about verses 1 and 2, where it talks about how teachers of the Word of God are judged more harshly. And so I really want to unpack that, because guess what? I'm a teacher of the Word of God, and I'm like, yee, that's creepy. I want to learn more about it. So I'm going to spend some time this week. Um, As many of you know, I came off vacation this week, and so this sermon prep uh, is actually probably going to be really cool because it's not my words. Uh, I got a lot from Scripture. I'm not, I, I didn't really come up with a lot of stories that correlate. I didn't really come up with a lot of things of my own thinking, which I think is going to be a good thing. Um, I literally have um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 scriptures that I'm going to read you guys this morning, right? And it's all based upon James chapter 3. So if you remember, James is the brother of John. 
And this book was written in humility. You heard that word in your reading today, humility. This book was written in humility. And we talk about this when we introduce James, because if you think about being the brother of Jesus, right? Did I said that? He's a brother of Jesus? I said John. I didn't mean that. I was making sure you guys were paying attention. James is the brother of Jesus. There was another guy in Scripture named James who was the brother of John, but this was the brother of Jesus. And if this James wanted to be famous, to be popular, and to make a lot of money, he could have easily written a book that said, Hi, my name's James, and I'm the brother of Jesus, and I'll tell you what he did when no one was watching. That book would sell. Yes, sir. Uh, I believe he was right around the same time. Yep. So that, it, that's why a lot of theologians think that this was James, the brother of Jesus. Yeah, because James, the brother of John, was one of the first martyrs. Yep. So you're right, Jim. Um, Jim is a great history buff. I love having history buffs. So if you're around your history buff, I'm not that great at it. Um, Jim and I did go down to One Love Brewery, though, and go for the trivia one night. And J- uh, Jim crushed it on the history part. I crushed the French fries. <laughs> great team we make. Great team. We should do it again sometime. <laughs> um, anyway, so James is the brother of Jesus. He is writing this book in humility. He introduced himself in chapter one as the servant of Jesus. That's incredible. You know that this man's been filled by the Holy Spirit because what earthly brother says about his other brother that I'm his servant? No one ever has ever said that. And uh, he goes on to write a beautiful book about wisdom. The, the practical things of how we should live this life. That's how we got on this book, because we did the book of wisdom uh, in the Old Testament. There's three, and then a lot of uh, historians and theologians call James the book of wisdom for the New Testament. And so we said, well, we're on the wisdom theme. Let's keep going. And guess what James does here in chapter three? He keeps the wisdom theme going. And what he does here is he talks about faith. He just got done talking about faith without actions is dead. And now he says actions are done by the body and actions over words. And so James is going to lay before us a wisdom on how, and I need this, on how to rein in the tongue. And boy, we need a lesson on how to rein in the tongue because now in 2023, there is so many ways that we can communicate versus when James wrote this, right? When James wrote this, not very many people had access to pen and paper. Not very many people even had the ability to write. So there wasn't that many people that could communicate by writing a letter, right? Most of people's communication was just done by their mouth. Now, I got home from vacation on uh, Thursday night, and on Saturday, I, or sorry, Friday, I sat down at my office desk, and what did I have to do? I had to check email. I had to check text messages. I had to check voice messages on my cell phone and the office phone. I had to check Facebook messages. I had to check Instagram messages, and I had to check the snail mail. Is that insane? All those avenues on which that you can communicate now? So if ever there was a time that you and I needed to hear about from the Holy Spirit on how to tame the tongue, 2023 would be a good time for it, correct? Because we have all these avenues on which to communicate. So the Bible has a lot to say about the human body. 
The human body is fascinating. Uh, Zena, you're going to school for nursing, correct? How many anatomy classes have you had to take so far? A couple? Two so far. And it's pretty insane how many body parts, correct? There are 70, I did look this up and maybe you can make sure that I'm, I'm fact checking correctly. There are 78 organs in the body. 78, she said, sure. Uh, 206 bones in the body and 78 organs. And the Bible has a lot to talk about the body. Today it's talking about the mouth and the tongue. The Bible starts off in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And people, people took this Deuteronomy chapter 6 so seriously, and the Bible told them to, that they painted it on the door of their house. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Now, um, those that are into sports know that messages written above the door in locker rooms are very, very important. And there's all kinds of different messages, right, that that teams will walk out the door and what do they do? They hit them, whether you're a basketball team or a football team or maybe a baseball team. When you come out of you know, the locker room, you have a message that a, that a coach or a coach of later year or past years has put. We had a message over there for a long time, and this is the reason why we did it, but there was a kid that came in here, a college kid one time that liked it so much, he asked how much it was for sale. I was so blown away that he liked the sign that we just gave it to him. So we should probably change, we should probably put up, it says, Jesus equals change lives, ours and others. And notice that ours is first. Because we are Christians are super guilty of trying to change other people's lives before ours are changed. And so we wanted to remind ourselves of that. And that was the message that was over our door that you could hit with your hand every time you go out. But this in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is called the Shema. And the Shema was written on the post of people's doors. And this is what it says. It says, Hear, O Israel, our Lord, our God is one. And you will love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I wrote it down in the message. It says this, Love God, love God, your God, with all your heart, with your whole heart, with your whole heart. Love him with all that is in you, and love him with everything you got. That's what the message says. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that is in you. Love him with everything you got. So the human body has 78 organs, and the word of God calls us to love him with all 78 organs. Let me say that again. The word of God calls us to love him with all 78 organs. And if you forget, the Bible said, write it on your door. If you're like me, sometimes if you, ha you forget stuff, you have to put sticky notes on your computer or on your dashboard or on your uh, mirror or whatever. That's what it's saying to do, right? If, this was, if, if Deuteronomy chapter 6 was written in 2023, it'd say, take a sticky note and put it on the dash or on the wheel of your car. The Bible has a whole lot to say about anatomy. And today, in James chapter 3, we're talking about the mouth. But I want to read some verses about some other anatomy. Let's start with the eye. The eye. Jesus says this in Ch Matthew chapter 6, verses 23, uh, 22 and 23 on the famous Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus says about the eye. He says, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. 
But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light, and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? This is the words of Jesus in Sermon on the Mount. This is interesting to me because I kind of have a similar viewpoint of this passage um, that the Greeks would have. The Greeks said that the eye is the window to the soul. That's who started saying the eye is the window to the soul. So when I hear this, I think about light actually coming in to the body. What's interesting is Jesus was talking to a crowd that was basically Aramaic, Hebrew, and Roman, right? And it wasn't until later that they came up with the whole, the window is the, uh, the, uh, the eye is the window to the soul. Most of these people, when they heard Jesus' words, and you can tell this because right before this, Jesus says, does anyone put a candle on a stand and then put a bushel basket over the candle? No, they bring it out of the bushel basket so it can give light to the whole room. Then he says, your eye is a lamp right afterwards. So he's not actually really talking about light going in. He's talking about light going out. And this group of people actually thought that. They believed that the moon and the sun were the eyes of the universe providing light. And so this is a really interesting way that I have never really read this verse before. And so what, he's, what Jesus is saying is that you actually provide light through your eyes. And if you ever have been married, you know that you can provide light or darkness with just your eyes. It only takes the eyes to communicate a whole lot when you're in a close relationship. And even when you're not in a close relationship, right? The eyes speak the eyes, man, have you ever traveled somewhere and seen a young child? Where's E-Man? Dude, E-Man's eyes, right, dude? Oh, dude, you look at E-Man's eyes and you're like, E-Man, he was Emmanuel, he was just sitting up here a minute ago. If you get a chance to look into his chocolate eyes, you got to do it. It's awesome, right? Or like a young kid with those like baby blue eyes, you know? Light is coming from that and it captivates, does it not? We are captivated by a young person's eyes. We are also what? repelled, just like we're captivated by innocent eyes, we are repelled, are we not, from eyes that are evil. So this is Jesus talking about our eyes. And when he says, if darkness is coming, evil is coming out of that darkness, and it's evil that you don't even know about, how many of you have teenagers and their eyes are communicating and they don't even know that they're communicating with their eyes? right? Or even me, myself. A lot of times Heidi will nudge me and says, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, you just look something. And I'm like, well, you know, I always kind of look something. Um, but I can get really nervous about this. But here's what's beautiful. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 12 says, the, he- the ear is for hearing and the eye is for seeing. The Lord God has made them both. So we're not without hope. We're not without hope. God made our eyes. God made our eyes. And here's what's beautiful. And Jesus can save our eyes. Mark chapter 8, verses 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on the eyes, on this man's eyes again, 
And he opened his eyes, and, he, and his sight was restored. Now, this is beautiful that they put this. And he could see everything clearly. And he could see everything clearly. Jesus, when he did that, knew that you and I in 2023 that have our sight still spiritually do not see things clearly. Me included. God made our eyes. And the ancient world knew that there was something about the eyes that was even different than the shoulder or the elbow or the knee or the ankle. You can know someone just by looking in their eyes. You can't know someone by looking into their knee unless they've had surgery and a big scar up the front. Then all you know is they have a fake knee in there. Other than that, not much, or maybe there's a scar from when they fell off their bike when they were five. But when you look somebody in the eye, isn't it crazy when they want to hide someone's identity, they just literally like just map out the eyes? Has anyone noticed that? The whole body can be seen, and they just put a black strip across the eyes, and you can't figure out who it is. That tells you something about the eyes. After Jesus' time, later on, like I talked about the Greeks talking about the window to the soul, most humanity, before science really got to be a thing and when they really were digging into people's bodies, which is crazy, but you've got to take anatomy classes now and you use frogs and all that jazz, and if you get into it, you'll even get into cadavers. That, that would be really difficult for me. But anyway, up until then, the ancient world believed, ready for this, that the eyeball... And the human heart, the center of all decision-making, were connected. We're, the, we're connected by the same organ. Let me say that again. The ancient world believed that the eyeball and the heart were connected with the same muscle or whatever. And here is a very um, challenging verse from Psalms chapter 101, verse 3 about the eye. And this is so fitting for today. How's your thumb muscle? Tell you what, man. Facebook reels, Instagram reels, they are addicting. So addicting. My goodness. And some of the comedians that they have out there right now are amazing. Um, I get comedians and how to cook food. I love it. And they're gotten really good. Because last night, while scrolling through Facebook Reels, there was a comedian who did how to cook food. Oh, this is amazing! It's like my world of comedy and my world of how to cook food just came together. It was really amazing. They're so good. Psalms chapter 101, verse 3. This is creepy to think about 2023 and all of the stuff that we see that goes right into here. I will set... I will not set, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. If you believe what you're looking at on Instagram, Facebook, Be Real, Snapchat, Twitter, Fox News, CNN, help me out here, 
TikTok. Holy cow, how many avenues do we have, you know? If you believe what you're viewing is not that big of a deal, you are brainwashed. And if you believe what you are viewing is not clinging to you, is not sticking to you, oh, I just don't pay attention to that. Well, you're as ridiculous as Marcus is and was when he was 12 years old and he told his mom, I only listen to music for the beat. I don't even know what they're saying. Baloney. Because guess what I could do? I could sing all the lyrics to the Wu-Tang Clan. Ha! Got a reaction there. The Wu-Tang Clan. I actually today was just reciting the lyrics to Wyclef, C'est les gens, up there in the phone. All right. You know the lyrics. And what you're watching on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever, commercials, Marcus, during an NFL game, commercials during a, you know, hockey game, fill in the blank, sticks with you, clings to you, right? It's interesting. The eye is a two-way window. The eye is a two-way window. Light goes out, darkness goes out. Light comes in, darkness comes in. The eye needs to be guarded. The eye needs to be guarded. So I said that in ancient times, they believed that the eye was connected to the heart. So let's get to the heart of the matter. What does the scripture say about the human heart? If you ever wanted to know what the human heart is like in scripture, you should watch the movie Inside Out. If you haven't watched the movie Inside Out, highly recommended. It's a cartoon, so if you don't have kids, you might pass. Don't pass. It's absolutely incredible. Look into the decision-making center and emotional center of the human. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And they, I put this, well, I, I'm, I'm a crier, but I cried a lot in that movie. When the console started turning black when she was in the bus, Oh, I'm going to get cryy right now. Like, come on. And she was in a bus in Minnesota, which when I left my home, I went to Minnesota. So, anyway. The heart. The heart. Buckle up. The Bible, right off the bat, has some things to say about the heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says this. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, and cannot be trusted. Let me say it again. The heart, yours, mine, the decision-making center of the human humanity is desperately wicked, it's desperately sick, and cannot be trusted. Don't believe me? Just recall your relationship when you were 22 years old. How'd, how'd that go? Or maybe 16. The heart is a very vulnerable and hard and difficult place. And the Bible, this is what's interesting about the Bible. The Bible talks about the mouth here in chapter 3. The Bible talks about the eyes a lot. But the Bible cares about the motive. Jesus cares about the fuel. You know, and many of you know that I'm currently going through therapy right now. 
And that's one of the things that my therapist and I are really working on. What fuels Marcus? What fuels me? Is it the praise of humanity? Is it the accolade of success? Is it the endorphin release of food, success, physical touch? All beautiful gifts, but when they are the fuel, they're not sustainable for any of you, and I will ruin this community, or myself, and I will burn myself out. See, because when we think that we go in this because something's wrong with you or you're in trouble, no, you don't do therapy because you're in trouble. You don't do counseling because you're in trouble, right? That might be so, but you do it so that you won't die, that I won't burn out, because motives matter. And a lot of times today, we like to kind of push that back, or we like to not think, like, let's not talk about that. What is our motives? What is my motives? What are your motives? And that is what the Bible's driving after here in the heart, the motives. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. In other words, all the decisions that you make, all the decisions from humanity start in the heart. Whether it be the Holocaust right? Or it be New England Disabled Sports. My buddy Peter over there. Great organization up on the mountain. Beautiful, all right? Or Loon Mountain Ministry. Or, you know, or the Peace Corps. Or any beautiful movement that you can think about. Both of them started in the heart. Out of the heart flows the spring of life. First Samuel chapter 16, 17 says that God really looks at the motive, and he says this, but the Lord says to Samuel, do not look on his outward appearance, how tall he is, how muscular he is, how awesome that he looks. No, I've rejected him, even though he's a stud. For I don't look at his outward features. I look at his heart, says the Lord. I look at the inside of the human heart. I look at the motives. Jesus says the same thing, Loon Mountain Ministry and Marcus. Like, I'm not a physical stud, right? But they say this, God says the same thing about our ministry and about the church. Jesus would say, or God would say, if this was translated to a church, I don't look at the building. I don't look at the bank account. I don't look at the number of people in seats. I don't look at the amount of programs. I look at the motivation. Why does Loon Mountain Ministry do what it does? And we work diligently to follow our mission. And our mission is to love God, serve community, and enjoy mountains. Love God, serve community, enjoy mountains. I'm not going to go on that rant because if I would, we'd be here till tomorrow. But if anyone wants to get a free coffee or a free drink of any kind and listen to me rant about our mission, vision, and values, I'll get you a free coffee of any kind. Come back midweek sometime. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joint and the marrows, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. So if you're like me and you read chapter 17 of Jeremiah and it says that my heart is evil and wicked and the heart of humanity is evil and wicked, if you're like me, I first go, uh, yeah, I, I knew that. I know the motivations of my heart. You know who else knows the motivations of my heart? Heidi. You know who else runs into the motivations of my heart? Anyone that hangs out with me, finds out when I get angry or when I get frustrated. Why? Because my expectations have been let down. And my expectations are what? They're the motive of my heart. So I don't know about you, but I lose hope. No, guess what? Hebrews chapter 12, tells 4, verse 12 says to me that the word of God is the knife, is the tool on which the great surgeon is going to come into my heart and start working. The word of God is the great tool, the great knife of the great physician who's going to come into my heart and start working to divide out the stuff, to cut away. He says it this way in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 29, or 26, 26. Praise God for this verse. This is how he says, so God is the physician that's going to work on my heart because my heart is evil and wicked. And if you don't believe it, just hang out with me long enough. You'll find out my motives are not pure. Okay? One of the things my therapist said that I test high on is narcissistic personality disorder. My wife said, no, duh. We had to pay you to tell you that? Could have told you that yesterday, Right? That's one of the things, right? And so this is what Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says. Praise the Lord. It says this. And I, God, will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put mine within you. And I will restore the heart of stone, eh, right? Right? The heart of stone from within you and give you a heart of flesh. Praise God. I don't want you leaving here without hope. The Bible doesn't leave you without hope. Yes, it hits you with a doozy and says that you, your motives at the root are evil. My motives are evil at the root. If you don't believe that our motives as a humankind are evil at the root, then you haven't worked the nursery yet. No one has taught, well, actually watching their parents has taught them how to be evil, including mine. A two-year-old, how to punch another two-year-old in the face, take something out of their hands and scream. Okay? I can hear it in there right now. And now, finally, to chapter 3 of James. I told you this was going to be a doozy. Matthew says this about the heart. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus says, Out of the heart... The mouth speaks. So when James says that the, the, the tongue is very difficult to control, who can control it? And it sets a whole forest on fire. Where did the fire come from? Not the tongue. The tongue was just the apparatus that lit the fire. Where's the fuel for the lighter that is the tongue of humankind? The fuel is in the heart of you and me. And it says this right here, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, here we go. 
Here's all these verses about the, the mouth. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. These draw, these people draw near to me. This is Jesus talking about people that go to church, me and you. He goes, these people come to church. They draw near to me with their mouth. They love to sing songs. They love to stand up and pray in public spaces. They love to read scripture at Bible studies and be seen as really smart when it comes to the Bible. They love to honor me with their lips. But their motivation down inside them is far from me. Jesus is not talking about Pub 32, folks, in that verse. And if you haven't been to Pub 32, you should. Because every pastor needs a church. Um, And you guys are mine, but I like going over there afterwards and high-fiving everybody. I hug them too, by the way. And Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus is talking to this side of that wall. I'm getting real right now, folks. He's He's talking to us, not the bar. And we, as the church, love to point the finger at the bar and come up with all the lists that are wrong with them. Well, Jesus right here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, ain't talking about the bar. He's talking about the church. Or 15, verse 8. And he says, you that come to church and sing pretty songs and know about your Bible and can hang out on Tuesday night and can dissect the book of James, that is all a bunch of blah, 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 blah to me if the motivation of your heart has not been redeemed by the Holy Spirit. And you're about your glory and your renown and not the glory of God. In Matthew chapter 15, 11, he says it this way. It is not what goes into the mouth that makes a person unclean. Amen. I can eat some pretty awesome food because it is what goes into the mouth doesn't make it unclean. Now, what goes into the mouth might make the waist a little bit difficult, might make the shirt fit a little snug. But Jesus is saying it's not what goes in there. And he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the pastors of the day that were judging his followers for eating something before they washed their hands. There's a sign up in uh, Sugarloaf Mountain Ministry in their bathroom. It says, wash your hands because like germs, Jesus is everywhere. Or like Jesus, germs are everywhere. That's what it is. Sorry, I flipped it around. My bad. Like Jesus, germs are everywhere. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. It says it's not what goes into the mouth that makes them unclean. Here goes. But what comes out of the mouth that makes a man unclean, that makes a human unclean. So all of us church love to point fingers at people that drink alcohol. All the while, while gossiping and cutting down and dividing with our mouth. And I tell you what, folks, if I read Scripture correctly, when we stand before the Almighty God... Those that have struggled with alcohol addiction are going to be judged very differently than those that have used their tongue to divide the church, divide the people, and to gossip, and to put people down. It is not what goes in that makes you unclean, but what comes out. Words from Jesus, not from me. Then words from Paul, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no, and my mom always said this to me, it's, I struggle Oh, it's so much easier to come up with judgmental of people than it is to find something that you like about them. Isn't that awful? It is so easy to say something rude than it is to say something nice. Right, Thumper? All right, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good 
for building others people up. And that what fits the occasion, that it might give grace to the hearer. Did you notice the reason why the tongue is so evil is because words divide. Words ununify. How many families don't gather together anymore at holidays because of a word spoken? How many families don't gather anymore because of a word spoken? Or a word unspoken. Either way. Yeah. Psalms 141 verse 3 says, Set a guard. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. <laughs> the doors of my lips are an ha- airplane hanger. Let's just be honest. Have you ever seen one of those airplane hangers for a Boeing 737 or a 747? It's the size of this thrift shop. The doors of my wife's mouth are like a little window. I need a massive guard over this mouth. And we'll go over that next week. Because it is is, teachers. Oh, boy. Jeremiah 1, verses 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my lips. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. That's our prayer. Because guess what? When you read Jeremiah 29, he reached out with a hot coal. This is what I love about it. And you know that when they wrote that, he knew that the analogy in James was going to be a fire comes out. And how beautiful of an analogy. Because where in New England would we be in January without a fire? Where would we be? Freezing cold. Pipes frozen, chattering, and probably not alive. If we had no way of combustion in January. But what happens when that fire is out of its place and is in your living room floor and goes up your living room wall? You're left without a home. That is power, folks. And so this does not mean to be silent. Sometimes. But when James talks about a bit in a horse's mouth, right? This is what a mentor said to me, and I'm sure someone said it to him. That a war horse, no matter how strong, no matter how big, is no good unless it is broke. Let me say that again. A war horse, no matter how strong or how big, is no use to any general unless it is broke, being able to be turned by a little piece of metal this big. And that's what the analogy is with our tongue. I don't care, Marcus, how many people gather to hear you speak. I don't care how many words a day that you can talk or don't talk for those that are introverted and judge us extroverts harder. I know who you are and where you sleep. For you introverts that don't speak and then feel better about yourself, it's not about the tongue. That's just where it comes out. You have to follow it back. So introverts, yeah, you might do a good job keeping your mouth shut. What's your eyes doing? And how judgmental are you of yourself and of others in your mind, introvert? Just because you don't say what you're seeing doesn't say, don't, just because you don't say what you're thinking doesn't mean we don't kind of know what you're thinking. All right, I'm going to end with this, the words from Paul, Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. It's 10 verses. It's from the Amplified. As Nancy showed, and you guys saw, it's difficult. So here I go. I hope that the word of God rests on your heart 
that the Holy Spirit uses it to help build you up or to help bring you to him in faith. And here's the thing. This is Paul being honest about his struggle with his body, with his tongue, with his thoughts, with his eyes, with his hands, with his feet. This is Paul being honest about his struggle. For I do not understand my own actions. I'm baffled. I'm bewildered. I do not practice or accomplish what I wish. But I do the very thing that I loathe, which my moral instinct condemns. Now, if I do habitually what is contrary to my desire, that means that I acknowledge and agree that the law is good, morally excellent, and that I take sides with it. In other words, in other words, those who don't believe in God still know that there is a rule, a moral law, a code. You can't get away from it. However, it is no longer I who do the deed. Now we're going to get into deep theology here. It is no longer I who do the deed, but the sin principle which is at home in me and has possession of me. Hence, Marcus hanging out in therapy, trying to understand what fuels me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, my flesh. I can will what is right, meaning Marcus can go run three miles out of will, but I cannot perform it. Yeah, watch me run three miles. I cannot perform it. I have the intention and urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. For I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do. I want to come before the church and tell you guys about God's great love and his truth and his salvation for you and for me. But my need for attention, my, my desire for affirmation, my, my drive for success just muddles it all up. For I fail to practice the good deeds that I desire to do, but the evil deeds that I do not desire to do what I am doing. Now, if I do what I do not desire to do, it is no longer, this is get confusing, so pay attention. For if I do what I do not desire to do, it is no longer I doing it, is it not? Myself that acts, but the sin principle which dwells within me, fixed and operating in my soul. So I find it to be a law, rule of action of my being, that when I want to do what is right and good, evil is ever present with me and I am subject to its insistent demands. For I endorse and delight evil, wait, wait, no, sorry. For I endorse and delight in the law of God in my inmost self, which is my new nature, my new nature. But I discern in my body, my members, in the, sensitivity, in the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh to overeat, Marcus, 
to overspeak Marcus, to overhug Heidi. <laughs> I overhug her a lot. A different law, rule of action, at war against the law of my mind, my reason, and making me a prisoner to the law of sin that dwells in my bodily organs. All 79 of them. Eight. Sorry. Thank you. It's 79? It's 79. 78? I said 78. She looked it up and said 79. See, I got you guys paying attention now. 206 bones. I heard that from a PSU nursing student. Okay, hold on. Um, yep, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh. And making me a prisoner to the law of sin that dwells in my bodily organs, in the sensitive appetites and wills of my flesh. Oh, unhappy and pitiful and wretched man that I am. Who will release me and deliver me from the shackles of this body of death? Oh, thank God he will through Jesus Christ, the anointed one, our Lord. So then, indeed I, of myself, with the mind and the heart, serve the law of God, but with the flesh serve sin. Folks, there is hope over your tongue. There is hope over my heart. There is hope over your heart. Because praise be to God who will save me from myself. God has given the gift of Jesus that through faith, and when we put our faith in him, he fills us with the Holy Spirit and he saves us from ourselves. From me, from me. And you, from you. And you got to get alone with Jesus and do that. Yes, we can talk about it corporately. That's awesome. We can sing about it corporately. That's great. But you need to go in the woods, in your attic, in your basement, in your room, on your couch. You need to go alone. And be alone with the Lord. And say, Lord, who's going to save me from me? Jesus, that's who. As you reach out for him and you put your faith in him, it's absolutely incredible. And you know what? Ain't going to be perfect. Look at me. I'm not perfect. Hang out. Just ask Heidi. Ask any of my close friends. My old self gets in the way all the time. But praise be to God, being saved all the time from my old self. So that's anatomy 101. With the word of God, we covered the eyes, we covered the heart, we covered the mouth. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And thank you, God, that you are not a God that we created. Thank you for not being that God that we created. You are above our theology. You are above our denominations. You are above our politics. You are above the law. You are God. You are good. You are holy. You are just. You are merciful. You are kind. You are strong. You are everywhere. We need to put our faith, hope, and love in you through Jesus by faith being filled by the Holy Spirit. 
Thank you so much. We love you. So name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God, serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world. Please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.